good to see everybody this morning. Great to have you with us. If you're visiting with us, we're so grateful for your presence. You can help us out a little by following the instructions on the screen behind me and giving us a record of your, your presence here. It's uh, wonderful to be together as the Lord's people and worship on the Lord's day. I need to clarify my title this morning, Five Things God Does Not Know. And I, I think I need to say at the onset, we're not challenging the omniscience of God. We're not going to restudy the nature of God this morning. God knows everything. Uh, the Bible says that, and that's why I had Terry start the lesson this morning with Psalm 139. We can't flee from His Spirit. He knows where we are if we go up. He, go, he knows us there if we go down. We, he knows that we're there. He knows us wherever we are. It's not like the little boy whose family was leaving on vacation. And uh, he was leaving his room and he turned around and looked back at his room and he said, Goodbye, Teddy. And he was walking out of the house and he said, Goodbye, chair. And then they were driving out of the driveway and he said, Goodbye, house. And they drove by the church building and he said, Goodbye, God. We're not saying goodbye to God here. Uh, he knows where we are and we can't Tell him goodbye. He will see us wherever we go. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 8, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. In Matthew 10, 30, He says, Even the hairs of your head are numbered. And the writer of Hebrews says, There is no creature that is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Five things God does not know. If we're not challenging the omniscience of God... What are we doing? Well, this is an old idea that has been preached several different ways. I clipped an article by David Roper a long time ago on this uh, subject, and I thought the ideas were really good and wanted to share them with you as an encouragement to you this morning. We're going to use this idea of things God does not know to talk about salvation and God's love for us. And you'll get the picture as we go through these points. Number one, God does not know a sin He does not hate. He doesn't know a sin He doesn't hate. In Proverbs 6, 16, you have this list. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to Him. And then He gives a list of seven sins. It cannot be denied. There are things God hates, and sin is at the top of that list. And being one that hates sin, God expects His followers to hate sin as well. Psalm 97.10 says, O oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Those who love the Lord should hate evil. Uh, a teacher asked her class one time, Did God give us the capacity to hate? And uh, many of them said no. And she said, that's wrong. God gives us the capacity to hate for you cannot love without hating something. You hate the opposite of what you love. She went on to say, it's wrong to hate people. It's wrong to hate things that are good. But the capacity to hate is good itself. You can't love one thing without hating the opposite. You can't love God without hating evil. When we speak of hating sin, we need to realize that means any sin. God doesn't just hate certain sins that we classify as the big ones. He hates all sin. We tend to classify sin, and the ones we commit are not as bad as the ones 
other people commit, or we have little sins and big sins. And there are differences in sin in terms of the consequences. I don't want to deny that. Some sins make a greater impact on the people around us. Some sins hurt more people than others. But in terms of accountability and what it does to your relationship with God, all sin is equal. James put it this way in James chapter 2, verse 10, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. So it only takes one sin, any kind of sin, to condemn you to hell without the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we should hate sin because it separates us from God. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. God loves us. He loves what is good and right. And so He doesn't know a sin He doesn't hate. What else does God not know? Number two, God does not know a sinner He does not love. I think about the headlines right now. And there's a a lot of hatred. You look at the headlines and our country is polarized between right and left. And the left is told to hate those who are on the right. And the right is told to hate those who are on the left. We see what's happening in Israel and the awful aftermath of October the 7th and Hamas, this terrorist organization that has so much hatred toward Jews. And we see in reaction to that a lot of people showing hatred toward Palestinians and, and principally Hamas. You see a lot of hate for the Russian President Vladimir Putin, who has now been bringing war to Ukraine, and we can't understand what's going on, and all these lives are lost, and it seems like a lot of it's just caused by one person, and so we are inclined to hate world leaders who bring war on the earth. Even though he's been dead a long time, we still hear about Jeffrey Epstein and the human trafficking and the slavery of people that somehow still goes on and we shake our heads and we just, we just really burn in our anger toward all this needless death and the people who cause it. But the amazing thing is God loves each and every person behind these atrocities. He loves every murderer. He loves every criminal. He loves every sinner. He does not know a sinner he does not love. And his love for sinners is evident in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 7, verse 34, Jesus was criticized for being the friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's not that he approved of what they did. Remember, he doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. It's that he loved the people and was able to separate them from their sin. Luke 15, 1 and 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. He was being harshly criticized for receiving them and accused of endorsing their behavior. And in reaction to that, he told three parables about lost things. The first parable was the parable of the lost sheep, which ends in Luke 15, 7, saying, just so, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Then he told the parable of a lost coin. And that parable ends in Luke 15, verse 10. There is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
And then he told the parable of the lost son. We call him the prodigal son. A parable about a lost son who came home to a father waiting for him, praying for his return, who embraced him, killed the fattened cow, and celebrated. God loves sinners. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, Jesus caused a stir when he said this to the Pharisees. Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, of course, they use that to say that he approves of the actions of tax collectors and prostitutes. But that's not the point at all, which is explained in the next verse. Look at Matthew 21, verse 32. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believed him. So that implies that the tax collectors and prostitutes he'd been seen with had changed their minds. They had repented of their former ways of life so that they could follow Christ. They were no longer tax collectors and prostitutes. The difference between Jesus' position and that of the Pharisees is that he loved sinners and believed in the possibility of change. He believed that if they just knew the way and if they knew God, that they would leave their sinful ways and follow him. And the Pharisees believed once a sinner, always a sinner, not realizing they themselves were sinners. If God does not love all sinners, what does John 3.16 mean? God so loved the world, the entire planet and its inhabitants. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. There's not a person on earth who can't sing the song, Jesus Loves Me. That's what makes that song so great. Everyone on the planet, every soul can sing, Jesus Loves Me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We don't love the way God loves. Men, if we ask you, why do you love your wife? You might say, well, because she's beautiful and she's sweet and she does great things for me. And she loves me. But nobody would ever say, well, I love her because she's nasty and ugly and mean and kicks me and hates my guts. And we don't say anything like that. But sometimes we look that way to God. We're mean and nasty and hateful toward Him and rebellious. And He loves us anyway. He loves sinners. He hates the sin but he loves sinners. And so Ephesians 3.19 says his love surpasses knowledge. It's beyond our comprehension. God does not know a sinner. He does not love. Number three, God does not know a sinner. He does not want to save. If we're honest, we're picky about who we want to bring into our churches. A lot of us want people who are just like us. And uh, we'd like to avoid the conflict that might bring us into contact with people who are different from us. But the early Christians were not like that. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. 
They were going to the Jewish leaders and telling them about how Christ was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Do we go to denominational preachers today or leaders of world religions and share the gospel with them in hopes that they might become obedient to the faith? No, we'd say we, they would never listen to us. Well, you don't know until you try. You might think your next door neighbor would never listen to you, but you don't know until you try. You might think that person that works with you who uh, looks different from you and has this lifestyle that's so different and intimidating to you would never want to talk to you about the Bible, but you don't know until you try. Acts 5.42 says, Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. In order to understand the blessing of salvation, we need to see two things about God. Number one, His ability to save, but also His willingness to save. Now, it's not hard for us to understand His ability to save. God can do all things, right? But it's a little harder for us to grasp His willingness to save. But His willingness is confirmed over and over again in Scripture. He said, Mark 16, 15, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever. That excludes no one. It's conditional. Those who do not believe and baptized and be baptized will not be saved, but whoever believes and, be, and is baptized will be saved. And in 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, we read, This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That leaves no one out. There is not a sinner God does not want to save. That's not to say it's impossible for somebody to be lost. Please don't misunderstand. You can ignore the gospel so many times that it eventually becomes impossible to renew you to repentance, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Or your heart can become callous and untouchable, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. But that doesn't mean God doesn't want to save everyone. It just means that sometimes people reject His desires. As far as God's concerned, He's ready and willing to save if people will just believe and obey. You know, sometimes doctors come to a point where they have to tell their patient, we've tried everything that we can do, there's just no more hope. Or a lawyer will have to turn to his client and say, we've tried everything, we're not going to win this case. But while there's breath in our lungs, God never says to us, you've gone too far, there is no hope. There's always hope this side of eternity. God does not know a sinner he does not want to save. Let's look at the next one. Number four, God does not know a better way to save mankind than the way that he has already provided. This is very important. Listen to this. God does not know a better way to provide salvation than by sending his son Jesus to die for the world. God so loved the world, John 3, 16, 
that He gave His only Son. And the reason for that is Jesus is both God and man. He is human and divine. The only person who can make reparation for sins, the only person who should make reparation for sins, is the human beings who committed the sin. But on the other hand, the only person who has the power, the ability to make reparation for sins, is God. And so it's in Christ where the could and the should are united together on the cross. Being God, He can make amends. And being human being, He should make amends. Although He Himself never committed sin. Furthermore, God does not know a better way to ask man to respond than to believe Him and obey. To finish John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's not all of mankind, only those who believe. And in the Bible, belief is an action. Belief is trust to the point of obedience. And so you have Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. No belief, no action. Belief, and you have the action. Peter said, to the multitude on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And after preaching that, those who gladly received His word, Acts 2.41, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number. Verse 47 says, The Lord was adding to the church daily those that were being saved. These were folks who were believing and obeying the gospel as it had been preached. And after you fall away, it takes an act of repentance and confession to be brought in. If a Christian obeys the gospel in this way, repents of his sin, is baptized into Jesus Christ, and falls away somehow, uh, goes back to his old ways of sin, he can come back but only through repentance and confession. Acts 8, 22, repent and pray. Or 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But folks, we do have a responsibility. Just hearing that God wants to save all sinners doesn't mean that He will save all sinners. He's not going to save us against our will. He has told us a simple plan that each and every person can obey. There's not a soul on earth who can't do it. And He has given us this plan in hopes that we will respond in faith and do it. To summarize, everyone who believes and confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, everyone who repents of sin and is baptized into the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. God doesn't have a better way to save mankind than to save them by the blood of Jesus Christ and to save those who respond to that sacrifice by a faithful obedience. Unfortunately, there are people who think they know a better way than God. Some say, I want salvation without the cross. Some say, well, I want salvation without the church. Or I want salvation without the gospel. Or I've got a, a version of the gospel that I think is better. I've streamlined it down. 
to make it easier. Or I want salvation without baptism. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 14, verse 6. What should we do? Should we look at this plan and question it and quibble over it? Or should we just do what God has asked us to do? Imagine that you're on some strange game show, and there are three doors in front of you, and someone says to you, behind door number one on your right, there's a million dollars. I'm not going to tell you what's behind door two or three. What are you going to do? Are you going to go to door two or three because the line behind door number one is too long? Are you going to choose door two and three because you don't like the way the prize was set up? No, you know you're going to go for the sure thing. Door number one. So we know what's behind the door. God has told us how to access that salvation Why are we trying to create other doors? We're not in a position to save. Only God is. Why not listen to His Word and simply follow through with what He has asked us to do? It's so simple. Why don't we do it? God does not know a better way to save mankind than the way He has already provided. Finally, God does not know a better time to be saved than right now. No person should ever respond without understanding what he's doing. But once that understanding is there, a person needs to do what needs to be done. On the day of Pentecost, after just one gospel sermon was preached, 3,000 were baptized and added to the church. In Acts chapter 8, an Ethiopian eunuch is reading the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip comes to him and he asks him if he understands what he reads. And the eunuch said, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And starting with that passage in Isaiah, Philip preached Jesus to the eunuch. I don't know how long they were together. It couldn't have been very long. It certainly was less than a day, probably something like a few hours. And when that eunuch came across a body of water, In the middle of nowhere in the wilderness, he said, Look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? They didn't have to put it on a schedule. They didn't have to plan out a series of lessons. When the man was ready, it was time for him to be baptized. In Acts chapter 16, you read about a jailer who was put in charge of Paul and Silas in the prison in Philippi. And an earthquake comes and opens the doors and the jailer is distraught. He's about to take his own life because he's lost his prisoners. They stop him. We're all here. Don't do any harm to yourself. He falls on his knees that very night and asks Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And they told him, believe on the name of Jesus and you and your household will be saved. And then they preached Jesus to him. They preached to him this same plan that we set forth to you this morning. And that very hour, After midnight, he and his household were saved. Uh, How much preaching do you think they were able to do in that time? When he went to get his wife and his family and his household servants out of bed, how long do you think it took them to explain what needed to be done to be saved? How much time did they have in that very hour? What I'm trying to tell you is we need to understand 
what to do to be saved. But you don't have to know every answer to every Bible question there is. Knowledge of the basics of the plan of salvation is what somebody needs to grasp. That is, that they are in sin and lost without Christ. That Jesus is the only hope for humanity. And that believing that, you must be willing to confess it before people, not be afraid of your faith, but say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You need to be willing to turn your back on that old way of sin and walk with Christ. You need to be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins, just like it says in Scripture. And then you need to commit to a life of faithfulness with God's people, worshiping with them on the Lord's Day, serving Christ as you see opportunity. That's basically what you need to understand. If you can understand those simple things, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Unfortunately, the book of Acts has accounts of those who did not understand the urgency of obeying the gospel. And some with Felix say, as he did in Acts 24, 25, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Or when there is a more convenient season, I'll summon you. I'm too busy right now. What's more important? Some people are like Agrippa, who was afraid when he heard the preaching of Paul. And he said, according to Acts 26, verse 28, in a short time, you will persuade me to be a Christian. Another translation says, almost you persuade me. Almost, as we sing, but lost. Almost is not there. Near is not there. Today is the hour. If you understand what needs to be saved and you know what to do and, and you're convicted of your sins, it's time. There's no reason to wait. So there's five things God does not know. He does not know a sin He does not hate. He does not know a sinner He does not love. He does not know a sinner He does not want to be saved. He does not know a better way to be saved than what He has already provided. And He does not know a better time to be saved than right now. I heard a story about a little boy with a rusty cage full of birds. And a preacher saw him and he said, what are you going to do with those birds? He said, I'm going to pour water on them, see what they do. I'm going to poke them with sticks. I'm going to tease them. And then the preacher said, well, what are you going to do after that? He said, I'm going to feed them to my cat. And so the preacher said, well, can I buy them from you? And he said, yeah, how much? I'll give you $20. So the boy gave him $20 and walked off shaking his head. And the preacher opened the cage and let the birds free. Well, Satan has had us in a cage. And God asked him, what are you going to do with them? And he says, I'm going to test them, I'm going to taunt them, I'm going to poke them, and then I'm going to destroy them. And then God said, how much? And Satan said, your son. And God paid the price. Friends, there is no one here God does not want to see saved. There is no sin He will not forgive. But you must respond. 
You must come and believe and confess and repent and be baptized and wash your sins away in the blood of the Lamb. Won't you come? Now is the time. Won't you come right now as we stand together and as we sing?